Blog Talk Radio. Scientific breakthroughs, the unveilings, spiritual revelations, the openings. Still I will not comply With the status quo It's freedom bro That I hold on high Hip hop 
Holy scripture writers always collide With the masses who wear glasses blocking vision inside If all classes with the passes mean that I'm verified Conversely would a failure guarantee that I'm vilified Choose to reside inside despite Jamal outside county lines Hold the city limits games that give me cluttering time As fast as camera flashes just to read the symbols and signs The birds and the vines, the bees and trees they all intertwine I live outside the box when my system knocks Something abstract, let my mind think before my eye blinks. Watch my dirty soul, don't let it sink. I stand naked in me. I live outside the box when my system knocks. Something abstract, let my mind think before my eye blinks. Watch my dirty soul. Don't let it sink, I stand naked with me you sit with your hands on fit the mitt You're on too long for the outfit And you come with no permits to certify that you're legit Face the perils of the pits And the fists of pessimists Who suggest that you should quit Get a job and shovel shit Buy some dope and try to pitch You got the fever for the flavor But the flavor leaves an itch And until you scratch the bitch As a slave you be as pig Now take a step into this ditch That you dug, can you dig? We're adults, no longer kids For mistakes, just consequence And hesitance, cause cleanse the lens That's been sold by foes and friends Love for teachers Preachers can like pissing in the wind if you don't start over again and change your thinking. This lesson is about your perception. Your mind is the ultimate weapon. False reality is the ultimate deception. One, two, mic check it, we break it any given second. I live outside the box when my system knocks. Something abstract, let my mind think before my eye blinks. Watch my dirty soul, don't let it sink. I stand naked as me. I live outside the box when my system knocks. Something abstract, let my mind think before my eye blinks. Watch my dirty soul, don't let it sink. I stand naked as me. Three in the midst of this reality, refuse to be a casualty. So casually, my mind patrols a galaxy where atoms be colliding with themselves and splitting constantly. Explosion and destruction is the birth of creativity. I'm crazy, see, maybe what you think of me Well, I agree, it takes a little lunacy To see outside the fantasy Imagine we remove the canopies, caps and coverings Exposing the true piano keys And play these melodies The people would be pissing levy penalties on enemies And government officials would be running for the hills And plead the tyranny that you inflict With flip car reciprocity You follow me, hands up in the air And raise them hurriedly, ferociously Emotions be the captain's soul So let them sink a hurt, no blur Vision 2020 peep Planet surfing, mega hurt and free you feeling me, 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 you feeling me. Peace, peace, good evening. Out there in Cyberland, out in Radio Land. You are back for another session of Tips and Tricks Tuesday, live on blog, I'm sorry, on uh, First World Order Radio. And this is Brother Jamal sitting in once again for the good brother Blackwater, the Meta Magician. Today's date is April 4th. We know this is a infamous day in history as this is the day that Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated and uh, a lot of energy on this day. Um, We know it's not by happenstance that he was assassinated on 4-4. There's a lot of information out there. 
brother goes in depth on the whole four four thing. But want to make sure that we come with something this evening that does align with the energy of the number four. The number four is a very, very powerful number. So we want to get into some science tonight that will stretch our minds. We're going to deal with a little more advanced metaphysics tonight and uh, take a look at some concepts that we're familiar with. Um, maybe some that we're not as familiar with, but either way, we want to stretch our perception, stretch our perspective to get the clear view of what we're dealing with here. But before we get into that, I'll send a shout out to Dr. Eileen Bay, is Queen Kadira L. Bay. And uh, these are the visionaries behind this platform, so want to acknowledge them and remind all of you listening to get over in the fast, in a hurry, to DrAileenLBay.com. And there's too much on the site for me to try to list what all is on there. Just get over there and look around. Everything you need from your physical to metaphysical needs, you will find on DrEileenLBay.com. And another reminder that the time has come. Time has moved fast um, for our anticipated, much anticipated event this Saturday in Indianapolis, Indiana, as Inner Sanctum presents the Gnosis, Awakening Minds, Cracking the Bible Code. That will be the topic, Awakening Minds, Cracking the Bible Code. And I will be speaking, and uh, we will be at Unity Center, and that's 2163 North Illinois Street, once again, that's in Indianapolis, 46202. Don't worry about parking. It's free, plenty of parking. And that will be this upcoming Saturday, April 8th, from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Admission is $15. If you have any questions, please email Zeta 9 at gmail.com. That's ms. Z is in Zach, A, D is in David, A, 9, that's the numeral 9, at gmail.com. This is an SO Aqua 9 production, and we look forward to seeing all of you scholars, all of you people who have questions or who are wondering and maybe haven't felt comfortable asking about certain things or worried that you'd be ostracized and you know, uh, and you want to get some things worked out, you want to make sure that you have your face in the place. Just go over some of the things that we'll talk about. Uh, we're going to look at various accounts of the creation story, which is important. 
Because when you know your beginning, you can then understand and see clearly your end. So we need to take a look at these creation stories and uh, understand the symbolism that is conveyed in these stories. And this which would be the common thread for the whole lecture is learning how to study from an esoteric perspective. The way um, religion has been brought to us has been from an exo-outer perspective. So one of the main goals of this lecture is to ignite the inner eye of the audience to see the inner hidden meanings uh, of the scriptures that we're so familiar with. We're going to look at the origins and formation of religion, uh, specifically Catholicism and Protestant Christianity. Uh, we'll do a critical assessment of the scripture regarding metaphysical meaning. We're going to look at hermetic philosophy because hermetic philosophy is and a great to a great degree is what Christianity is based on. Uh, we're going to deal with etymology. You need to know the origin of words so that you can have a command of language and not be duped by just being a person who only deals with connotative linguistics. We will uh, look at ancient sacred sciences and we'll also deal with eschatology. This is just a few other things we'll touch on. We're going to go in deep in this conversation, and, and it'll be done in a way to where no matter what level you're on, you will still be able to keep up and digest everything because it's going to be broken down in simple format. So we look forward to seeing everyone this Saturday, April 8th, 4 to 8 p.m. Once again, we're in Indianapolis, Indiana, Unity Center, 2163 North Illinois Street. Also, um, feel free to go by and check out my uh, YouTube channel. It's the Gnosis. Subscribe and, you know, peruse and learn so you're welcome to stop by and check that out. Also, if you have questions about anything, any of the shows, or if you'd like to get any of my lectures on DVD, just send me an email to hjrobinson360 at gmail.com. That's hjrobinson360 at gmail.com. That's 360. All right. So... Our topic for the night is the trickster, God of the crossroads. The trickster, God of the crossroads. So we'll start off our conversation with this, and this may not even sound or seem like it has anything to do with the conversation, but it actually does. I heard a guy probably 20 years ago, friend of one, one of my brother's friends, 
he said, he's always say, if a dog bites you, don't snatch away from it. Feed it. Feed it. And um, thought about that. I said, hmm, it's kind of, it was funny. But if you really think about it, there's a lot of, a lot of wisdom within that little axiom. And we can apply that universally. When a dog bites you, don't snatch away, feed it. Because, see, when you snatch away, which is a, a natural human tendency, that when you feel pain, you, you, something's clamping down on you, it's natural to, to look to disengage and get away from the source of the pain. But as it pertains specifically to a bite, you've been bitten. You, ta- you pulling away from the clinch or the clamp of those teeth is what creates the tear in your skin. That's where the damage is done when you pull away. So the science is when you're bitten, don't try to snatch away. Feed the source. So if whether you're in a fight or you're getting bit by some animal, feed it. Because the animal or the person will have greater difficulty harming you when you go with the flow and you feed it. And what what happens is it has its mouth open or he or she has his or her mouth open. And now, you know, the mouth is a major passageway for, for air, oxygen to to enter and exit. So now by you feeding this person or this animal, you have the chance to now choke it. So now you've changed positions. You've moved from the prey to the predator. Now, that is a science that correlates with the science of the trickster, which is what we're focusing on tonight, the trickster, God of the crossroads. Because when you come to a crossroad in your life, in whatever capacity you can be thinking of, you have decisions to make. Should I go this way or should I go that way? And a lot of times what brings us to the crossroad is conflict. Some sort of conflict, some sort of failure, some sort of attack brings us to a crossroad in our life. And nothing is absolute. But one of the hidden jewels of the trickster is that sometimes we think it's noble to fight when we get to the crossroad and we take the route of the fighter when in reality your victory can come through you feeding the energy that is attacking you. This is what the trickster is all about. The trickster is 
an energy source that has the function of propelling you on your journey, propelling you down your path. And and it's normally the path you should take is not going to appear as the most rationally um, acceptable path. As we go along tonight, all this stuff will will unfold and make more sense. But I like that little axiom. I think it's something good to hold on to. When the dog bites you, don't snatch away, feed it. When we're talking about the crossroads, what we have is a convergence of four different directions. East, west, north, south, all converge at this one point. And that deals again with the number four that I mentioned earlier. Four is a very, very powerful number because four is a number of destruction, but destruction in that it prepares the vessel or the person or whatever might be the subject for the next step. Four, through its destructive nature, is a doorway leading to a new cycle. It's not by happenstance that we have the final four that occurs in March. March Madness. All harkens to ancient mythology. And March Madness concludes again with the final four that happens after the vernal equinox. So for some people and in some ancient cultures, the vernal equinox was and is the new year because the sun is crossing the equator. And symbolically, the sun is now gaining strength because it has been at its weakest point at the winter solstice. And now, and after the winter solstice, it has started fighting, fighting, fighting to regain its strength. And on February 2nd, which is Imbolc, or what's called one of the eight Sabbaths that's uh, recognized throughout the year, it is now considered to be really gaining its strength. Okay, now it's starting to get its, its its spine more upright. It's moving again. So by the time we get to the vernal equinox, that is a major celebration because now the sun is really powerful. And evidence of its power is the vegetation that starts to Gain that rich green color again, and 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 flowers are starting to bloom, and bees are coming back out, and birds are chirping, you know. So it's a celebratory time. So it's not by happenstance that we have this March Madness and Final Four around this energy vortex. Now, part of the trickster is that the trickster is 
always two-faced or possessing dual nature. So just as the trickster god is immortal, it also is mortal. So its immortality is gained through its mortality, which is which is a contradiction, paradox. But it's all allegories. It's, it's symbolic. One must die to something so that one can live in something else. So when we look at this final four, which just concluded last night, just as the the god in the trickster drama has to die in order to live, we see that in order to reap the benefits of the spring season, the bursting, the exploding properties of spring, a god had to be sacrificed. So when you have these two teams where the four are whittled down to two, the victor, of course, is representing the sun that is rising up, but then the loser is the sacrificed God whose blood becomes the um, transitory system allowing the victorious God to keep moving on up. So it's not by coincidence and happenstance, or it just so happened it's it. No, because they are capturing the energy around that period, which this is another Sabbath, the vernal equinox. So everybody's all in an uproar and cheering for their team, creating energy. And then that same energetic blissful state of pleasure and ecstasy, it will be anticipated for a whole for another calendar year, especially for those who are big-time college basketball fans. Same applies to any other sport. And what that does is it reinvigorates the cycle or the gerbil wheel. That's why sports are so important because they serve as major energy grids to reinvigorate the spirit of the United States Corporation. All right, so moving along, as we get cranked up into this trickster subject, let's... uh, Consult the famous psychologist, or I don't know if he was a psychologist or psychiatrist, uh, Carl C. Carl G. Jung, who was a Freud student and later his antagonist. Jung is going to set us up for tonight's conversation on. The trickster. 
want to read a little something out of his book, The Archetypes and the Collective Unconscious. I'm going to read a little bit here. Now, if the myth were nothing but an historical remnant, one would have to ask why it has not long since vanished into the great rubbish heap of the past and why it continues to make its influence felt on the highest levels of civilization, even where, on account of his stupidity and grotesque scurrility, the trickster no longer plays the role of a delight maker. In many cultures, his figure seems like an old riverbed in which the water still flows. One can see this best of all from the fact that the trickster motif does not crop up only in its mythical form, but appears just as naively and authentically in the unsuspecting modern man. Whenever, in fact, he feels himself at the mercy of annoying accidents which thwart his will and his actions with apparently malicious intent. He then speaks of hoodoos and jinxes or of the mischievousness of the object. Here the trickster is represented by counter-tendencies in the unconscious and in certain cases by a sort of second personality of a puerile and inferior character, not unlike the personalities who announce themselves as spiritualistic seances and calls all those ineffably childish phenomena so typical of poltergeists. Now, what is Young talking about? He's saying that if myth is so ancient, why is it that it survives? Why doesn't it just fade into the oblivion of the past? And he's what he's building up to here is because it has ingrained itself into the unconscious mind, and with the right stimulant, it comes up. Even the person who says they don't believe in all of these things, all these mythologies and so forth, he's saying that, when a person has a blunder, they might say, oh, uh, somebody jinxed me or um, somebody put some, some, put some type of, gave me the evil eye or, you know, uh, don't walk under that ladder. You know, especially like with very religious people, you know, uh, they can say that, um, you know, I don't deal with all that black magic and all that mess and this and that. But you're walking outside and let a black cat cross their path, and they're like, oh, I got to turn around, which contradicts their whole belief system system in their religion because if you don't believe in the black magic, then it should not matter if you walk under a ladder or you split a pole, black cat crosses your path, none of that should matter. So what he's saying is that these motifs, lie dormant in our consciousness whether we know it or not. And with the right stimuli, they will come up. So he continues, I have, I think, found a suitable designation for this character component when I called it the shadow. The shadow. 
Now we could also say that 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 shadow that he's referring to also can be related to melanin because it's something that is left behind. You know, the shadow is always behind, it's trailing. So that's another way to look at this, but let's keep going because I want to get our foundation laid. He goes on to say the collective figure gradually breaks up under the impact of civilization, talking about this trickster motif, leaving traces in folklore which are difficult to recognize. But the main part of him gets personalized and is made an object of personal responsibility. Okay, let's skip over here. He goes on to say only when his consciousness reached a higher level, he's talking about uh, man, uh, reached a high level, could he detach the earliest state from himself and objectify it? That is, say anything about it. Basically, he's saying that the, the, the only way, when, when man reached a high enough degree of consciousness, he was able to objectify the, the trickster aspect of his own being, okay? So long as his consciousness was itself trickster-like. Such a confrontation could obviously not take place. It was possible only when the attainment of a newer and higher level of consciousness enabled him to look back on a lower and inferior state. What we also see here is that we can see how religious concepts begin to develop. See, the ancient uh, aborigines of... uh, Australia talk about a they have a, a term called dream time. And dream time basically refers to a time when they convene or they were one with the gods. So you gotta think, okay, we always taught that primitive man is stupid and even Jung is suggesting that here in this book. I mean he's still writing from that, you know, early twentieth century European elitist, you know, Attitude and concept So it's always thought that primitive man is stupid On the contrary Primitive man is in a commune with the gods He is one with the gods So therefore he and she function by pure intuition Because there's no need to be as contemplative If you are that which you venerate, you have to contemplate more and think when there has been a loss of knowledge, when there has been a loss of memory. The only reason that we communicate vocally now the way we do is a result of a loss of knowledge. Because when you have complete knowledge, you speak through telepathy. Because that means the mind is functioning at its full capacity. We are not functioning in our full capacity now, so we have to memorize things. We have to repeat things and so forth because we are in a state of utter forgetfulness, which is how we arrived at where we are right now, which is why we are so reliant upon technology because the internal technology that we once have had has been offline for some time and has been devolving from the time 
we came on earth in the physical. So we can see that as man lost knowledge, complete knowledge, yes, he could objectify and separate more, which is how we could eventually get to a point where there's a God and there's a devil as two separate entities. All a result of forgetfulness and also of a two, as a tool of conquest because if you can define something as being excommunicated and outside the fold and, and quote-unquote evil, then all you have to do is associate a person or a group of people with that which you determine does not fit into the canon, and now it becomes a political tool. What we're doing tonight is finding, searching, and discovering the essence of the trickster. We're going to see what it really is, and it might be a surprise to some. So Young, this last part, he says, anyone who belongs to a sphere of culture that seeks the perfect state somewhere in the past must feel very queerly indeed when confronted by the figure of the trickster. He is a forerunner of the Savior. Very interesting. He is a forerunner of the Savior, as in he comes before. And like him, God, man, and animal at once. He is both subhuman and superhuman, a bestial and divine being whose chief and most alarming characteristic is his unconsciousness which is what we just said. Primitive man, that just, and primitive just means first. It's been given a connotative negative association where it means stupid, but that's not what primitive means. Prime means first. So we'll keep moving. Um, looking at how the symbol penetrates even when we are unaware of it. A symbol penetrates even when we are unaware of it. This trickster figure has always been abound, always moving. We just not have been aware of it in its true essence. Let's go back to Young again. We'll read just a so we can get some clarity on this. Just an example of how the symbol penetrates even when we are unaware of it. We like to imagine that something which we do not understand does not help us in any way, but that is not always so. Seldom does a man understand with his head alone, least of all when he is a primitive. See, there he goes with his little slights. Because of its Numinosity, the myth has a direct effect on the unconscious, no matter whether it is understood or not. The fact that its repeated telling has not long since become obsolete can, I believe, be explained by its usefulness. 
The explanation is rather difficult because two contrary tendencies are at work. The desire on one hand to get out of the earlier condition and on the other hand not to forget it. So he's showing here how as we think we're evolving and becoming something better than we were, there's this dueling aspect within us. One where part of you so-called becoming better is to reflect on your past and maybe what you consider to be mistakes. But then there's the other part of you that wants to forget that past. But either way, that is that so-called past is always running in the background. It's just like when you put your computer on sleep, but you haven't really powered it all the way off. Yeah, the, the screen blacks or uh, goes to black. You can close it, but that computer is still on. Just like your television, especially these new smart TVs, you can turn the power off, but the computer, the, the, the television is still on. It's only when you unplug it that that television is powered off. And, and who knows these days if that even completely powers it off. But either way, that's what an archetype does. An archetype is not destroyed. It's only subdued and it lays, lays dormant. All right? So let's move on. And let's look at how the primal energy of force, like, like we're saying now, never dies. Only lies dormant until adequately confronted. Now, one thing I want to say is I don't agree with Jung is trying to suggest that you can uh, dissolve this this unconscious archetype by properly confronting it, but you can't. You can't because that's that's what makes it what it is. It's always there. We're gonna build. We're gonna we're gonna build up on this. Let me read this. The darkness and the evil have not gone up in smoke. They have merely withdrawn into the unconscious, owing to loss of energy, where they remain unconscious so long as all is well with the conscious. But if the conscious should find itself in a critical or doubtful situation, then it soon becomes apparent that the shadow was not dissolved into nothing but is only waiting for a favorable opportunity to, to reappear as a projection upon one's neighbor. Facts. If this trick is successful, there is immediately created between them that world of primordial darkness where everything that is characteristic of the trickster can happen. Basically, the real you comes out. You know, we know all about that now. We we, we, we we show people our representative, you know, but the real you is push the right button and the real you going to come out. I don't care how polished and calm you try to be. Let me push the right button and the real you is going to come out. He says the tricks that can happen even on the highest plane of civilization. All right, we'll stop right there. So Young gives us his wordy foundation 
for this trickster. It, we're, we're talking about something ancient that has always been, but an aspect of it has been subdued and is lying dormant. All right? Hold that in mind. So let's try to give a, a further definition of the trickster. It is the embodiment of all divine energies as well as the gateway to them. I'll make sure I'm clear on this. The trickster embodies all of the divine energies, but it is also the gateway to them. Okay? He is the quintessential figure of contradiction. He's, and I don't mean just he is, I'm not being gender, uh, whatever specific, it's just easy because I'm a man just to say he. He is good and bad in a purely connotative sense because after all, you know, what is good and bad really? But just from a comparative state, in other words, he embodies polarities, okay? He, em- he embodies opposites. Okay, But in doing that, see, this is what makes the trickster so divine. By him embodying two polar opposites, he then nullifies them. See, the way religion develops is that it has to always identify a boogeyman, a bad guy. But when we study from an esoteric perspective, we find out that anything that suggests duality is not real. The ultimate purpose we have down here in this physical three-dimensional reality is to overcome duality. The trickster is always reminding us to overcome duality. That's why he's never one way. He's never always left. He's never always right. He's chaotic because his role is to help to dissolve duality. All right, let's keep moving. He is both God and the devil then. His function and his purpose. The trickster stands at the crossroads. And like we just identified earlier, the crossroads represent four directions that converge. Okay? So the crossroads could also be seen as a gateway. So the trickster stands at the crossroad and or the gateway. Okay? So now with that in mind, let's go to the some scriptures here just to help us get some understanding. Let's deal with Second Kings chapter 7, 1 through 8. Second Kings chapter 7, 1 through 8.
Okay. It begins, Then Elisha said, Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a measure of fine flour will be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, in the gate of Samaria. Gate. Okay. The royal officer on those on whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Then he said, Behold, you will see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. Now there were four lepers, leprous men, at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why do we sit here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, then the famine is in the city and we will die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come and let us go over to the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we will live. And if they kill us, we will but die. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to bear us hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp, just as it was, and fled for their life. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from their silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried with from there also and went and hid them. Now, what is this story talking about? Pay attention to the hints that are given. You see, gate mentioned in the first verse, in the gate of Samaria, all right? The major one, though, is four leprous men. Four leprous men. Four, again, is the number of the crossroads. So we have an, a trickster account right here in Second Kings. These men are confronted with a choice. They say either way, death is looming, and there's a high percentage of us dying. Either way, we move. If we sit here, we're going to die. If we go in the city, we're going to die. There's a chance. This is showing, this is a prime trickster moment. Because like I said, part of the energy of this trickster is that you will be confronted with situations where it does not look rational for you to make certain moves. These men are already weak. You know, so they ain't like they got a 
So it's like, well, it pretty much like F it. We're just going to go on up in there. But then what the trickster does is because they chose the path. They chose to stay on the path. So the trickster then uses its energy to divert the attention of those who are guarding the gate. Now, we know this is not a literal story, of course. This is all allegory, but what we're talking about is a crossing over into a higher degree of consciousness. And when we look at the word die, the word die means to give. When you then look at the etymology of the word give, then it means to receive. So therefore, we see that there's an exchange of energy that is going on. And that is one of the key things of a trickster. He goes either way. He can be positive, negative, up, down, left, right. He's a banker. He exchanges. So by them making a certain exchange of their energy, they were able to reap a reward in return. And this same trickster that is being described in this verse is hidden in here. This is talking about Satan. We're thinking, okay, this is God created this miracle. It's actually the same entity. We're talking about the word Lord itself means potential. Potentate. Pot. Potus. Potential. So potential can either be all the way over here on the left or can be all the way over here on the right. Let's look at another verse that also is going to build on this. Exodus 13, 16 through 19. Book of Exodus 13. Okay. Starting at verse 16. This is Moses, you know, leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. So it shall serve as a sign on your hand and as phylacteries on your forehead. For with a powerful hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Again, talking about a crossroad. Now, you remember when Know how old you know when I was a child, you know, we had the yuck face thing on the 
chemicals underneath the sink. You know, they, they started their whole campaign in the 80s, you know, the yuck face. They put the the skull and bones. And if y'all familiar with all the Illuminati stuff, you know, George Bush and John Kerry, remember, a skull and bones. Well, just think about it. It's a skull sitting above bones that are crossed, signifying the crossroad. All right? So there's another story here talking about crossing. Crossing what, though? If we really apply this to the body, and I'm getting ahead of myself. Some people don't agree with this, but I stand firm on this. The heart chakra is the crossroads. The heart is the cross. Keep going. We're going to see here. We're going to get our evidence. Matthew 10 and 38. Let's go to Matthew 10 and 38. And he does not take, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Cross. See, now, our minds sometimes are trained coming out of our religious indoctrination. When you hear cross, you think about a piece of wood. Jesus' hand was nailed to it, and his feet hung there until he died. And, but you have to think outside of the programming. Cross, place where you cross over. They're talking about a journey. It says here, and he who does not take his cross, as in take his journey, those lepers decided to take their journey to cross over. In Exodus, the bones are signifying are hearkening to the children of Israel crossing over from their lower nature to their higher nature. Matthew sixteen twenty four. Try to do these quick. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. He must get on his path again. So what, are we, what am I getting at here? The trickster sits at the crossroads, and it is the embodiment of divine energy as well as the gateway. Then the trickster must also initiate the aspirant into adepthood. The trickster is the one who initiates the aspirant. Now, very familiar and famous, quote unquote, inspirational speaker, and, and he, I guess they call him a life coach too, Tony Robbins. What, one thing is interesting about, you know, he's got like a cult like following. And when he does these um, conferences, people pay upwards of anywhere from 8000 up to 70000 thousand for these, uh, these conferences that he has. And he knows 
you know, he 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 knows this science, okay? Because he has a ritual he incorporates with his attendees, crossing the hot coals. I saw some picture or video of Oprah out there and running her, you know, running across the coals with him, you know. If you ever seen Oprah's feet, I can understand how she run across some coals. But either way, um, so he utilizes this science. It's the same science with, you know, you pledge in a sorority or fraternity, you know, you're going to cross the burning sands, you know. Uh, but what is going on here is Tony Robbins is positioning himself as the trickster. And he definitely is a trickster. So we have to learn how to read symbolism. Here's another example. Genesis chapter 2, verse 10 to 14. Genesis chapter 2. It says, Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It flows around the world, land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. The bedellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. All right. Once again, we have something that is talking about a crossroads. That's why there are four of them. Now, interestingly, when you look up these these different bodies of water, listen to this. Pishon means dispersive. Gihon means stream. Uh, this third one, this the the I got it. Uh, the other translation for Tigris is Hadekel, and it means river. And Euphrates means break forth. Rushing river of the east. Now that's a major code right there. Because what happens is your heart, astrologically, your heart is located on the eastern side of your body. Your back is the west. Your front is the east. Your head is the north. Your feet is the south. Now in another system, your front is the east. Your back is the west. Your left side is the north. That's why the left-hand path is, you know, evil comes from the north, and then your right hand would be the south. But either way, your heart is always located in the east. Your heart also has four chambers. Now, when it dispersive, stream, river, rushing, what we learn, we do etymology, is that the word sound actually means water. So these four rivers are denoting water bursting through, but also sound. Sound is a vibration. 
So now you have further evidence that this is talking about a rise in consciousness or a rise in one's vibratory rate or frequency. And this is all being governed by what would become what we call the devil or Satan. Because it is the trickster who sits at this four-way intersection. Hey, which way you going to go? So then we say further, this same trickster illuminates the heart. How and why? Because he requires your passion. He tests your patience and your threshold for pain. The trickster illuminates your heart, requires your passion, and tests your patience through your threshold for pain. Now, what is significant about those three words, passion, patience, and pain, is that they all come from the same family, the same Indo-European root, which is P-A-E-N. So they all mean pain. Passion is pain, patience is pain, and pain is pain. So now, let's go into some mythology now. You have the god Dionysus in the Greek pantheon. He's one of the, the titans. Dionysus is a trickster figure. Because one is one of the aspects of the trickster. It's full of contradiction. It possesses polarities. Okay? So he's a trickster figure because he is a god who requires devotion and doles out punishment for the lack of devotion shown to him, yet he still dies like a mortal man. Dionysus is a god, and he requires your devotion. He requires, you know, veneration and punishes for a lack of, but yet he still dies like a mortal man. Now, if you go to... Psalms 82, 1 through 6, you're going to do what I just said. We'll find it says, God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy, deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Now listen to this. I said you are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men. That's the same as Dionysus. Dionysus is a trickster figure because, yes, he's God. He requires devotion, but he will die, and he dies like a man. What is this passage in Psalms saying, and what is the 
the, the, the fate of Dionysus is saying. It's saying that he is willing to suffer. He's willing to suffer. Remember the word die means give. The word give means receive. That means ultimately it's saying you are willing to exchange something for something. Talking about commerce, something you do every day, all day, buy and sell, you exchange. So Dionysus suffers because of his willingness to learn. That's one thing we, we, it, it, we, don't, we don't grasp sometimes. A willingness to learn embodies suffering. Okay? I'm going to break this down. Suffering the lack of time that you could be devoting to more frivolous things because of the rigors of studying. See, that's suffering. It's a labor of love to learn because you have to you have to miss out on something else in order to learn about these mysteries. That's suffering. You have to suffer the confusion that accompanies and leads to enlightenment. You cannot be enlightened until you have been in the dark, until you've been lost, until you've been ignorant. Suffering the loneliness of discovering that you are responsible for your outcome. That's very lonely. He suffers because of his devotion to his unconscious experience of the divine, and that is what drives him mad. You know, if you know the story of Dionysus, he's the god of wine and ecstasy. See, because of our our Western framework in our mind, when we hear the word ecstasy, we're thinking about either a drug or we're thinking about uh, some type of porno or something. You know, like, oh, oh, so you know, the, the 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 deeper meaning of ecstasy is what you all experience and I experience who salivate and hunger for knowledge. It's ecstasy. The first time you got that high of learning something, that's how people get hooked on crack. They chase the high forever. So this is a feeling of ecstasy. You're ecstatic about learning, and thus you're willing to suffer. True passion and ecstasy is suffering. Make no bones about it. In the throes of passion, one is willing to be subjected to harsh conditions, to labor extensively, to humble oneself, to lose oneself. If you find something that you're ecstatic enough about and that you're passionate enough about, you're going to be willing to suffer for it. Which leads us to another 
God who is very, very similar. And I would almost say that they're the same character almost. Eros, the god Eros, displays Dionysian qualities. You know, he is the epitome of ecstasy, Eros. And he never quite attains it fully. He is the ultimate suffering student. He's also also a trickster. Okay, let me read something for you. This comes out of a book called The Metaphysics of Sex by Julius Evola. Um, read this a little bit here. Um, we must consider one final myth found in the symposium, one that contains profound significance in cryptic form. This is a special version of the origin of the god Eros. When Aphrodite was born, the gods held a banquet in the Garden of Zeus. Poros, who participated, became drunk and sleepy. Penia, who had become had come to beg and was kept at the threshold of the garden, took advantage of his condition and made Poros copulate with her, plotting to have a son by him. The son was Eros. Let me stop right here and just tell you, when you're reading mythology, don't discount the names. Listen to the name, Poros. What does that sound like? Pores. Okay? And what do pores do? They, 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 they allow things to enter. They absorb, okay? And then today reverse the roles here. The man has the feminine quality and the woman has the masculine because her name is Penia. Like penis or pineal. Various interpret. Let me just say this too. So you know we're always talking about an exchange of energy. You have to have a, a very creative mind, and you have to elicit your creative mind when you're studying mythology, including the Bible, the Quran, or any other. You have to have your creative mind on deck as well as your analytical mind. Because then you how you pick up the little clues. Various interpretations of this myth have been put forward. The most weighty view, which is strengthened by the context of the whole passage, is that porous expresses fullness and therefore, from a metaphysical standpoint, being, whereas penia represents poverty, privation, the stereosis that plays so great a part in Greek philosophy and is linked essentially to the concept of matter. In an atmosphere similar to that of Aphrodite's birth, that is, under the sign of that goddess, being is united to non-being. See, now again, we have, you see this, this, this nullification of polarities. This is why Eros is a trickster figure. He nullifies polarities which also makes him a Christ figure. Because does not Christ, the original, as in Heru, Heru comes from the unification of the masculine and feminine energies come together. Asar and uh, Aset come together to produce Heru. And then the Roman Catholic Church changes that trinity to, oh, we're going to take the woman out because we're a group of woman-hating uh, well, we'll leave it at that. 
and we're going to change it to the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost because they, they wanted to hide the true function of Christ. It is, a, it is to nullify duality. When, when Christ says, I came to bring the sword, not peace, I came to destroy the illusion of duality. Same as Eros. In an atmosphere similar to that of Aphrodite's birth, that is, under the sign of that goddess, being is united to non-being in a moment of blind intoxication. And this irrational union, Porous drunk has here fallen below his real nature as a son of Metis, who represents wisdom, characterizes its own product, the love and desire personified by Eros. I hope this is making sense. You see, again, we've got this trickster. All right. Let's keep moving. Let's go to Another passage in this same book, still dealing with arrows. I want you to want to touch on this. Nothing is more famous than the heart struck by an arrow. The arrow and the torch were attributed by the ancients to arrows. It is a subject preferred even for the tattoos and sailors and criminals. But at the same time, it is like a hieroglyph that has an unusual power. In its most typical forms, arrow seems to be a kind of trauma at the central point of a being, which from an esoteric point of view is the heart. According to similar traditions, the bond of the individual ego is established in the heart. It must be broken to reach a higher freedom. Here, arrows acts like the deadly wound of an arrow. Again, we see that this trickster sits at the crossroad. And again, like I said, I stand firm by the crossroad representing the heart, which this passage just supports that. He stands at the heart and he pierces it. Pierce means he goes through it. You must go through your heart to go to the higher self. So you got to read this stuff. You got to be creative when you read this stuff. That's why you see all these arrows piercing the heart, just like Cupid, talking about ecstasy. That means passion. Passion puts you deep inside the epicenter of your heart. And as you go through your heart, now you and you, you're being purified. Now you're going to your higher self. And this is all being orchestrated by the trickster who stands at the gateway or the crossroads. Now, let me tell you who else is a big-time trickster. Christ. Christ. I want to get you, read you something that you rarely hear about. Some books they definitely had to throw out of that Bible. And this is, I'm reading from the lost books of the Bible and the forgotten books of Eden. 
And this particular one is called the infancy gospel. All right. And this is uh, the infancy chapter 20, 13 through 16. Let me find this. Chapter twenty. They and this is this is about the young child Jesus or Christ, okay? He said also unto Saint Mary, This your son has no need of any learning. Has no need yeah. They brought him then to a more learned master who basically Christ has been going to the different school masters and he's smarter than the master. So this one said, you need to take him somewhere else. He's above my level. I can't teach him. So he gets to this new one. They brought him then to a more learned master who when he, when he saw him said Aleph. And when he said Aleph, the master bade him pronounce Beth, to which the Lord Jesus replied, tell me first the meaning of the letter Aleph. And then I will pronounce Beth. But this master, when he lift up his hand to whip him, had his hand presently withered, and he died. So we see that the Christ is a little trickster right here. Because part of the trickster, what a trickster does is it provides riddles. Like, you know, in the Batman trilogy or the Batman series, you have the character called the Riddler. You even have the Joker. That's why the Joker is the direct opposite of Batman. Those two are represent the same energy. They just polarize them. So the Joker and the Riddler represent that aspect of the potential. So you see Christ here taking on the characteristics of the Riddler, which is a trickster. All right? Then here's another one from the same, same book, but it's from chapter 19, 22 through 24. Another time when the Lord Jesus was coming home in the evening with Joseph, he met a boy who ran so hard against him that he threw him down. Now stop right there. That's, a, that's another clue. Remember when you had a crossroad, what happens? Different paths are converging, right? So then once again, we see he's a trickster. Another boy ran into him. We're talking about two paths crossed. Have to be use your creative mind when you read these passages. To whom the Lord Jesus said, As thou hast thrown me down, so shalt thou fall, nor ever rise. And and that moment, the boy fell down and died. So this little young Christ is a killer, which is a part of the trickster aspect. All right? Now, he, as all of the trickster figures, is displaying the necessity of seeing both sides as to nullify duality. Because you see, you see, Christ here is acting like a little, a little bully, right? But you know that's what the trickster does. It displays both sides. Now you see the bad side, and here's what the little Christ does on the 
from a more positive aspect. I'm not going to read all of this. But it says, The Lord Jesus came to the gate of a certain house and asked some women who were standing there where the boys were gone. And when they answered that there was no one there, the Lord Jesus said, Who are those whom ye see in the furnace? They answered, They were kids of three years old. Then Jesus cried out aloud and said, Come out hither, O ye kids, to your shepherd. And presently the boys came forth like kids and leaped about him, which when the women saw, they were exceedingly amazed and trembled. Then they immediately worshipped the Lord Jesus and beseeched him, saying, O Lord Jesus, son of Mary, thou art truly that good shepherd. Now see, here he's the good shepherd. In another account, he killed a boy for running into him. He killed a master who was going to whip him for having a smart mouth. So you see, Christ is actually a trickster because he's the old divine. He calls out his little his little boys, his little kids, come out, my flock. And they fall down, oh, you are truly divine. But he is a bully and a killer on the other. That's a trickster figure. It's showing that he embodies both polarities in him. Now, they had to hide this aspect of Christ because this aspect of Christ undermines the entire Christian faith. You see why some of these books had to be thrown out. Then they pay these quote-unquote religious scholars at these universities to say, well, that was not authorized, and uh, we tested fragments, and that was written in 1933. It's just... And they lie because this undermines the whole concept of there being a separation between God versus the devil and Jesus versus Satan. This shows that they're all the same because Christ is expressing satanic, what we quote unquote would identify as satanic traits and God traits. So moving along. We're in the season of the trickster. Right now, we're in the season of the trickster. Just as spring is the time that Christ begins to usurp and display its power, it is also the time of the trickster in that he sits at the crossroads. Did we just say earlier the sun crossed the vernal equinox, crossing the equator? It is also the time of war, Aries. The war is the crossroads itself, where two paths converge, causing confusion and strife. And this is what brings about Christ. The confusion and the strife, just to hit home, you may be dealing with some stuff, in your personal life or whatever right now, understand that you are going through an initiation to bring out something else. That's a way to keep your sanity. Even the asshole that might be giving you grief, 
They're just a tool. Just a tool to refine you. Because if you can identify with this information and it resonates with you, then that means you're at a certain level. That means that you are working on the behalf of all these other dummies out here who could care less about this type of stuff. So see the idiots as tools used to help you develop into the smooth Ashley. Prepare yourself to shed some metaphorical blood, just as the menstrual cycle. Spring is synonymous with blood, bursting, flowing. That's why they have to have this crucifixion fictional story at this time of the year because it's actually talking about the flow of the menstrual blood. But the menstrual blood flowing denotes the ability to produce life because if the woman does not have a menstrual cycle, then the womb is barren. In order for that womb to be able to produce a child, it has to produce some blood first. Or it has to be capable of producing some blood. Expect some tests in this season because the trickster is busy playing games to thrust you deeper into your godhood. We always been taught to get the devil trying to stop me and the devil. No, we got to, that's, that's child, that's child-like thinking. Understand that the trickster functions to push you deeper into your godhood. It's the catalyst to propel you along your path. This is also a time to act and not be stagnant. Resist any procrastination so that when the Christ in you provides direction, you need to begin your research and then actively move on your findings. This is the time to move. Not in haste. You still have planning, but you need to be. This ain't the time to be sitting on your hands. There's a lot of energy that is abound right now. Be aware of the fours in your life. Like you said, these fours are very significant. These are times of transition and crossing over. I'm just going to use my life for an example. Okay, I'm 40 right now. I turned 40 this year. So let's look at the ages of 4, 13, 22, 31, 40, 49, and so forth. You can keep on going. I was born on a four. I was born on February 2nd. That's 2-2. On the fourth day of the week, which was Wednesday. So this is how I know that this trickster energy, you know, I really had to learn, you know, it has really come up in me lately, especially I really want to dig into and understand the trickster because that's my energy. You know, I have these fours all around me. I got into my first fight at four. The the lower legba or the Orisha legba came to me at the age of 13. I was in art class, and 
I can't remember what you call these things where it's all black and you use a little um, uh, wood tip thing and you draw your picture by scratching it. You scratch the picture in. Well, I, I drew a profile of this character. You know, I used to be a pretty good artist. I drew this profile at 13, seventh grade. And he's his profile is in the foreground, and in the background, there's some water, and there's a boat on the water. And uh, I got to looking at the last time I went home, my father had saved that picture, and I told my mama, I said, this man is a, is a, a, a god named Legba, or Elegba, or it's got up various names. I said, I drew him in the seventh grade. So he came to me at 13. That's another. And he's the God of the crossroads. One and three is four. Another transition. I dropped out of college in 1999 at the age of 22. At the age of 31, three and one is four, I was transitioning into another phase of my business, and I was experiencing regret about my first marriage. I was about to go through a transition, one hell of a transition, and I didn't, I'm glad I didn't know what was coming. I might have lost my mind. Now I'm 40, and I'm moving into another phase, and I'm in a phase now basically just reinventing myself. So you can see I had some major, some minor, but I I had eventful things happening around these fours. Pay attention to your four years as far as coming to these crossroads in your life. Now, who are some tricksters? Let's look at some trickster figures real quick. Of course, Set, Satan would be a trickster. Set tricks Osiris, and in doing so, he thrust him into his divine destiny. So we always look at Set as the evil brother, but if it wasn't for Set, Osiris would not have fulfilled his divine duty, which was to go and be the lord of the underworld. It is Set who who puts him on his journey. And Set becomes Setan or Satan. And Satan, as the trickster, is used to start Job on his divine journey. You see, you read the opening of the, the book of Job. Dionysus, again, Dionysus is a trickster, but is also tricked as he is nursed by water nymphs, which is feminine energy, and it is these same nymphs who tear him to shreds. Thus, he is the predator because he drives women mad, who eventually becomes the prey. But again, we know what, you know, we talked about the symbolism of that. He's willing to suffer because it's the divine, the, the divine journey of constant learning. And the ecstasy comes through the pursuit of higher consciousness. Now, I want to read something from Dionysus' Myth and Cult by Walter F. Otto. 
Let's go uh, to the back here real quick and read this. It says, the wild hunter is himself hunted. The render is himself rent. When his destiny overtakes him, he is very like one of his unfortunate victims. Just as the women in Dionysian madness tear their little boys into pieces, just as the maenads, following his example, tear apart young animals and devour them, so he himself, as a child, is overcome by the titans, torn apart and consumed. It is a fearful struggle, in spite of the superiority of the enemies, for the kingly child assumes, now listen to this, assumes the shapes of the most dangerous of the animals, becoming in the end a raging bull. As bull, he finally collapses. And there you see the running of the bulls ritual, which serves several symbolic purposes. It's it's the it's the ritual of them running the moors and that melanated blood out of Europe, and it's also of killing the the murder of the divine god Dionysus. Christ is a trickster again, as we said earlier. We've seen examples of his trickster nature from childhood, but there are also examples from later in his life. Christ displays the same nature as Set. Imagine that. Christ displays the same nature as Set. Okay, well, let's look real quick at John chapter 11, 13 through 15. John eleven thirteen through fifteen. Let me find it. John eleven thirteen through fifteen. Now Jesus has spoken of his death. Now this is talking about the death of Lazarus. Now Jesus has spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not here so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, wait a minute. Set, we said, propels Osiris on his divine journey by tricking him and uh, first burying him in the coffin, then finding him and cutting him into pieces. Well, basically, this passage is saying that the character Jesus, the Christ energy, willingly allowed Lazarus to die or is showing that he's glad that Lazarus died. Because, And we know Lazarus is Osiris, Azar, Lazarus. So that's it. He's, he's, he's serving as the same role as Seth, the trickster. All right? Keep moving. Christ also shows his correlation with the Riddler. Remember, don't we always say that, you know, Jesus speaks in parables? Well, Matthew, let's just give you one example. Matthew 13, 3. Let's see. Matthew 13, 3 13, 13, I think. I don't feel like reading all this. Let me see. Can I? Let's just cut to the chase at the end. 
starting at 1312. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. For whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. That's a trickster move. That's the Riddler, speaking in riddles, parables, same thing. The Commission deity, Tahuti, is a trickster. He is the ultimate trickster because he too speaks in parables like Christ. I'm not going to read it, but he describes the, to Imhotep how, how Kemet or Egypt will fall into ruins. And you can find this in uh, the other Bible. You can find it in uh, uh, Walter Scott's Hermetica. This is a lot of places where they have this perfect speech of Asclepius to Asclepius. He describes to Inhotep how Egypt will fall into ruins, but he also assures him that balance will be restored. That's trickster DNA. That means he's saying, I see your downfall. I'm not going to try to do anything to stop it. I'm going to allow it because your downfall is necessary for you to fulfill that important leg of your journey. But then he tells them, but I can see into the future too that oh, everything will be restored, but I'm telling you it's going to be bad until it gets restored. So Tahuti stands at the crossroads. He stands throughout and at the end of the journey because he's telling Ascalipus or Imhotep at the beginning and he's seeing through the journey how it's going to all uh, unfold, and he's telling them how it's going to end. So that means not only is he the trickster, but he's also the truth. That's the thing about the trickster. It tells the truth. Because the truth means to be at the beginning, the middle, and the end. That's what Tahuti is. He's at the beginning. He's seeing what's going to happen as it, everything transpires and how it's going to end. So we're talking about epistemology, ontology, eschatology, all wrapped in one, which is summarized by the Hebrew word emeth, which is the Hebrew word for truth. And emeth consists of the Hebrew script or letters of Aleph, Mem, Tav. Aleph is the first letter. Mem is in the middle. Tav at the end. The truth is the beginning, the middle, and the end. It runs through. As mentioned earlier, Tahuti then, as the trickster, is the transformative agent, as well as the final step in the transformation. All right. And then again, like we said, Legba. Legba, again, is the ultimate trickster, too, because he sits at the crossroads. He guides you where you must go at that moment based on the maturity of your soul. So, so the route he directs to, even if it appears as treacherous and tricky, is actually divine. There are no coincidences, no mistakes. If you take the road that is not favorable, it's because of the maturity that you're at at the moment, your soul maturity your spiritual maturity, even your mistakes are divine. 
and are actually your soul's program for learning and unfolding. His colors are black and red, root chakra colors, and also the colors of Santa Claus, interestingly, because we know Santa Claus is very symbolic figure, Claus as in claustrum, which is crystallized consciousness, which is Christ. The black is for the absorption of fatal or fatal aspect of the deity, while the red can be seen as the issuing of life from the primal darkness, as the blood. The blood signifies life. The trickster as the heart. We've already dealt with some of this. this. I'm going to skip ahead. In the movie Hell, well, let me say this. When Dionysus is killed in one of the stories, when he's killed by, uh, uh, what's her name? What's her name? The, the Titan who killed uh, Dionysus. Either way, she lures him with some uh, toys. When they kill Dionysus, the only thing left is his heart. Uh, once again, which reinforces what we're saying that, you know, the trickster stands at the, the heart chakra at the gateway, which is the crossing point. Now, the Hellraiser movie from 1987 is a Dionysian story because the main character who originally attains the box from that little Asian man represents Dionysus. He is in constant pursuit of sexual ecstasy, which extends to, this is the character in Hellraiser. You know, if you remember the movie, I can't remember his name in the movie, but he's constantly in pursuit of ecstasy. And that's what drives him to open that cube. He wants he he needs he needs to have a greater experience. So he opens that cube up and then he activates what's called the Cenobites, those four monstrous figures. Alright? One is called Butterball, one is Pinhead, one's called the female, and the other one the chatterer. Now then I, I I looked at these names. And this stuff was, they did, they coded this thing, okay? So look at this. Even the names of these four characters echo a trickster energy. Because, you know, the trickster embodies, you know, both polarities, masculine, feminine, yin, yang, negative, positive, all right? So look at this. Basically, they form like an AC current, you know, current one way, then it switches back to the other. Butterball would be feminine. That's the fat one because he's a consumer. So that means he receives. Then pinhead would be masculine because pin, as in penis, and he has those pins that stick out of his head. So that's that's a masculine Masculinity is an outward expression. All right? Then you got the one named the female, which that's just a no-brainer, obvious. 
but also shows that she is the most powerful because she don't even have a name. So that means she's nothing, as in she's the nothingness. From the nothing comes the absolute. Then there's the chatterer. He would be masculine because chatter alludes to the tongue, and the tongue symbolically represents a penis or a phallus. The tongue, the torch, the phallus, the obelisk, the sword, the lightsaber, those are all synonymous, phallic images. So you can see just even where they selected those four characters, you're talking about masculine, feminine, masculine, feminine, off, on, off, on. They, they function as a crossroads, those four. And they provide the ultimate pleasure for the main character because there's bliss on the other side of his pain. They tear him apart, just like Dionysus was torn apart. And the only thing that remains is his heart. You know, you've seen, probably seen a lot of pictures of, of Christ, and you see the picture of his heart exposed because it's telling you, it's talking about the heart chakra, the heart. That is where you must pick up your cross. That's where, that's the crossing point is at the heart. So let me conclude on this. The trickster in relationships. The trickster defies the Western concept of romanticism. The trickster trashes the idea of the stereotypical blissful union. All right? He teaches us that the concept of dissolving and losing is superior to adding and completing oneself. Say that again. The trickster teaches us the concept of dissolving and losing versus adding and completing oneself. In this Western paradigm we live in, it's always got to be, what can you do for me? Give me, give me, give me, give me. But the trickster is really telling us that you have to lose yourself. You know, I'm not going to read these scriptures, but you can go and look at them. Deuteronomy 17 and 6, you see what a 2 and 3 join to make 1. Matthews 18 and 20, you see, you know, that, that familiar scripture where 2 or 3 are gathered, there shall I be. We know that 2 and 3 equals 5, which is a Christ number. But in Deuteronomy, it says it makes 1. Because what are they really saying? That the 2 and the 3 are dissolved. They lose themselves, and the only thing that's left is one. The difference between those two numbers, between the two and the three, is one, and that's all that remains. I conclude with this. Most people enter relationships and have an undeclared state of war. Both are one person looking to usurp power and assert his or her will to rule. The trickster challenges this notion for he can't be realized until both people are broken. 
The healing can't occur until the break occurs. Breaking, I'm talking about the breaking of one's own delusions of grandeur. That must be broke. Your true soulmate will cause you to feel the pain of transformation and will dissolve you as you dissolve him or her. That's the trickster. And this has been the trickster, God of the crossroads. Hopefully this has been edifying for somebody else, for y'all, and, you know, that uh, this has made sense. Um, we got one question. I'll call it here. See what you... Seven five four. Your line is open. What's good? Hey, peace, brother Jamal. How you doing? Peace, peace. How you doing? All right, all right. Yeah. Want to say, man, I love the presentation. Powerful information, man. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Much appreciated. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you. Um, just get a opinion and response from you. Um, what mm-hmm. would be uh, as far as like well, you know you you familiar with uh, Stolen Legacy, um, George and James? Right. You know, on mm-hmm. there they talk about some of the ancient um, teachings when they speak about um, polarity and duality and the units of the opposites. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I just want to ask you, like, um, what would uh, be like a proper uh, description of maintaining balance as far as with the higher and the lower self. I think that's something each individual has to define within his or herself. You know, I think that's the that's the I think that's the beauty of it is it being an equation that each person establishes within his or herself. Now, uh, just on, uh, uh, just generically speaking, it is, you know, like in Kabbalah, we're talking about the the middle path. So um, uh, let's let's take about the world we're living in. It it is, uh, finding the ability, the middle path would be finding the ability to to understand and pursue these concepts of, of higher knowledge and understanding, yet not lose yourself to where you don't still, you can't function in this world. So that's something I've been guilty of at times is, you know, you know, you become so fanatical where you, the pendulum swings completely one direction. So that's one way of looking at it. Um, but there's so many different areas that we're looking to achieve balance in. You know, some people get so caught up in the the diet, you know, um, and then some people don't put enough attention into what they're eating. Uh, I think it's, but I think it's each person got to, be introspective, you know what I'm saying, and and 
Right, right. And have that that, that time of really just looking and reflecting and seeing what well, how does this apply specifically to me? Right, right, right. That's not there. That's that's very interesting. So interesting. Uh, so I couldn't give you this a you know straight up. You know I don't want to. Uh, no, I mean that 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 makes a I'd lot of sense. Mhm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So. Well, you have anything else you want to add, or or any other questions? Um, or? Well, actually, uh, just like one more thing. Um, like uh, when you were uh, quoting the scripture on the Bible, um, the scene mm-hmm. where uh, the child was like uh, running and uh, bumped into Christ, and I know you was like, yeah, uh, that's from you know, breaking it down. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. No, yeah, I know you was breaking that's that down. not in the Bible. Oh, oh that's not? Oh, okay. Nah, um, well, that's, I thought it was, but um, what, what was it from? Go ahead. It's one of the uh, one of the the books that was that was discarded, you know, from you know, with the beginning with the Council of Nicaea. This this comes from. It's called the Bible, the Lost Books of the Bible, and the Forgotten Books of Eden. So it's another set of, of Gnostic texts that were left out. It's called the uh, the infancy. That's the name of this right, right. Uh, well, go ahead with what you're saying. Yeah, um, like yeah. Before you you was breaking down like the allegory of that story. Um, like it, it kind of it made me thought of uh, um, like what I got from it. And I just wanted to share with you was that uh. Like when the child was running and and bumped into Christ and fell down, I was thinking like, well, um, could it could could it like possibly mean also to where because you know how you they say that you know um, Christ is like symbolic to like Christ consciousness, right? Okay, so I was thinking like, um, is it like possibly like describing to where that. It's not something that you rush into. As well as like yeah, with the child running. I... Yeah, what's your input mm, on that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean you could what I well, you know, what I determine just from just from, from just my little meager studies is that when you're reading mythology, mm-hmm. the beauty of them is that they keep they keep unfolding. You know, it's it's uh I agree. Like that that it's like that what they say about chaos, uh mathematics, there is no truth, all is accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's the way I look 'cause 'cause I can come back I can read it today and see one thing and read it tomorrow and see something else and they both are right. Right. Right, right, right. right. How, uh, it's it, like an onion, it's like an onion, it's like you're peeling different layers. That's that's right. That's right. That's right, man. You know, because when you were saying that, I I even I started thinking some more. It's like, you know, it could also be the 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 two sides of the mind running into each other and causing this collision, almost like uh, an mm. atom. Uh, 
fusing together, you know, and then you right, have this right. nuclear reaction. Yeah. You know, a, a recreation of the Big Bang, which, again, would be Christ consciousness. Right. You know. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Okay. 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 Yeah, man. Yeah, man um, I, you know, I've, I've I've been an active listener, man. You know, I, I love the show. You know. Oh, I appreciate it, brother. I love what I, you're I doing, really man. Do. Appreciate you. Much appreciated. I, I appreciate you for listening and 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 letting your light shine. You know. Okay. The, the energy matters. Yeah. No doubt. All right. Well, um. Right, I'm gonna uh, yeah I'm gonna fall back and just uh just listen. Thank you. All right, no doubt. Peace and power. You too. Okay. Well, before we get out of here, if anybody else has any other questions or comments, feel free. You can press one on your on your phone, and we'll take it before we we get out of here. And like I was telling the brother there, and uh, I appreciate all of y'all who listen in, uh, who listen in live, and who listen to the podcast, and who go on uh, Dr. Eileen's YouTube page and 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 check out the the broadcast. Um, we are um, we are feeding on each other, so. Uh, Y'all are very much appreciated. I'll open up six five zero. What's good? Hi, Brother Jamal. So I have a quick question about tonight's show. So is the moral of the story that with true love there's severe pain? And I think you're talking about the heart chakra. Exactly. With anything that's true. You know, like Bobby Hammond, you know, says, you know, the only thing that's real is pain and suffering. And that's and I mean it's not to sound negative or dismal. You know, we're trying to show the concept of the other side of the pain so that we understand that it's just a a a, a necessary part of getting to the blissful side on the other side. So yes, pain is Pain is is you don't it's, it ain't real until there's some pain there. You don't know that it's real, you know. <laughs> uh, that's really there ain't much down here that that is real that really exists, you know. Yeah. I don't know if that answers well, the question, I but <laughs> needed to hear your message tonight, so <laughs> it was good for me. All right, all right. Well, you know, you know, we, it's that the, this energy is abound right now, and it's it's gonna play out in different ways. But the key, the key to this season is 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 to keep on keeping on. You know, put your put your nose down and just keep grinding. Um, what looks one way right now is not the way it really is. You know, the old saying, okay. it gets greater later. 
So, you have any other anything else? Any other? No doubt. Thank you for listening. Okay. Have a great night. You too. Peace and power. Peace and power. All right, ladies and gents. We're coming down to the to the closing her here of another another uh episode and uh, like I say appreciate y'all listening in. Appreciate y'all asking questions, commenting. Uh if you have any other questions or if you want to get any uh of my lectures on DVD, currently we got Decoding the Matrix. We got Symbolism 101. You can reach out, hit me up at hjrobinson360 at gmail.com. I ship them right out to you. Um, stop by, check out my YouTube channel, The Gnosis. Just a reminder, if you're anywhere close to Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Louisville, Kentucky, Chicago, Gary, Indiana, St. Louis, anywhere, Cincinnati, anywhere close, you need to get to Indianapolis Saturday, April 8th, Unity Center. We'll be there from 4 to 8 p.m. And longer if they'll let us stay. And we're going to get into some in-depth, serious science. But other than that, that's all I got for this evening. Uh, shout out again to Dr. Aline, the goddess Kadira, the god Blackwater, the metamagician, the god Fahim El, and shout out to the gods and goddesses who are listening in and who will hit this broadcast. And as always, you know, stay down until you get up, and when you get up, stay down. Catch you on the top side. Peace. Yo, yo. Risen from the Ma'afa, the reincarnation of Labib Mustafa, the king of the opera, subject of the saga, this pain in my presence, power in my essence, experience through my lessons, globe trotter, soul spotter, stargazer, Elohim, Shabaka, stone praiser, ancient tips from the chalice to cup the grail, tell the stories of my glories from the depths of hell, oh well, as the pages of my book turn, I burn like ether, ashes in the urn, sprinkle me, I return, as a freedom fighter, overstander, truth writer, lighter, or the catalyst, maybe antagonist, mathematicist, sacred geometric strategist, the builder, protractor, seeing panoramic views of animus, analyzing anarchists as the pianist, puts melanin to scale, inhale, Tell me what you smell, this is one eye focusing through the gnosis. Meditate, levitate, over primal oceans to medicate, educate over foolish notions. Now you overstand kings and queens and no quotient can divide you.
running for 